Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. I think last week I said we were doing Deep Blue Sea, this week we're not, we're doing Kung Fu Hustle. So, if you were expecting sharks, sorry, it's Kung Fu. And subtitles. Uh, but we're, we're doing sharks next week. Alright, so, Kung Fu Hustle. Enjoy! This week it's Kung Fu Hustle, which is my personal selection. Uh, I am Sol, and I am joined as ever by Mr. Calvin Dyson, Sun San. Hello, hello. And uh, Alan. Hello. And uh, you can't tell, but this whole intro is being dubbed. Because <laughs> we're doing it in foreign. <laughs> you know, yes. we like to theme it with... Uh, with relation to the film we're covering. Well, I like to think that mine is subtitled, actually. I'm not a big fan of uh, dubbed versions. Ooh, and this film has got a horrendous dub. Have you guys oh. seen it dubbed? No. I, I hope you watched well, it subtitled. Only... Yes, yes. No, I, yeah. I've only seen the film the once, and for this recording, and it was subtitled. It was very strict good. about that. Good, good, good. Well, I, 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 well, the first time I ever watched it, I don't know, it was subtitled. When I came to watch it this week, the only version I could find was dubbed. Um, mm. And it was just like, oh, I'll have to just make do. Um, but I found the dub was okay. It wasn't distracting or anything. It was all Oh, right. it's one of the worst dubs I've ever encountered. The, the DVD, for whatever reason, the default setting is English dub, and you have to go into the settings and change it to like the original audio track and subtitles and it's all the characters at the start are just like oh my hey it's me why don't you shut up oh, what are you doing coming into the shop it, it's like oh it's awful it, it ah no one sounds like a real person they're all cartoon voices well is there a reason for why that is the default on a dvd because from what i understand this was one of the first sort of um foreign hong kong films to make it big, like on a mainstream level in, you know, the US, certainly. Uh, is is that true? Am I along the right lines? I don't know much of the background history of the film, uh, you know. Certainly, I went to see it in the cinema and it was subtitled. And I remember seeing ah. trailers for it um, in front of mm. whatever mainstream, you know, film I'll have been going to see circa 2004. So, mm. Anyway. How did you come to this film, Alan? Had you seen it before? I know Saul was a big fan. This is my first viewing. Had you seen it before? I saw it many years ago, yeah, when it came out, I presume. Mm. I didn't see it at the cinema or anything like that. Mm. But, um, yeah, it garnered enough attention at the time that I was aware of it. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I watched it. I really liked it, actually. And then when I watched it again, more recently, it kind of went down in my <laughs> memory. Mm. Um, not that I didn't enjoy it, but... It kind of blew me away the first time I saw it. It was like it was so so different. Yeah, I I had the same. The first time I saw it, I was like you say, very much just like, wow, <laughs> this is what films can be. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we start then? Well, we should probably explain what the film is. It's probably one of the more obscure films we've covered on the show. So there's probably quite a few mm. people listening who don't know it. <laughs> I mean, what is it? It's a it's a comedy from Stephen Chow from Hong Kong. Uh, it's as the name would suggest a, a kung fu movie, um, mm-hmm. but it's 
It's um, I don't know. It, it came out the same year as Shaun of the Dead, and it's it's almost like that approach to genre filmmaking again. Like we're going to make a kung fu movie that's very much a kung fu movie rather than a spoof, but it's also a comedy. Like it's a modern version of this genre that we like. And you know, that's not to say kung fu comedies didn't exist in the seventies and eighties because they did, but. It's it's a modern comedy, I suppose, would be a way to... Well, I, I think it helps to contextualise the comedy as well, because I, I think the comedy in Kung Fu Hustle is very different to what there is in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, absolutely, Kung Fu Hustle, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, like, it's Looney Tunes comedy, yeah. like it's cartoon, slapstick stuff for Sur- the most Completely part. surreal at times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I love. But yeah, I mean, it came out... Stephen Chow uh, is a, a writer-director who I, I think quite a lot of, although his career hasn't quite borne out the success that I thought it might at one time. Um, yeah, especially because this did have a big crossover, like mainstream Western mm. success, didn't it? And it didn't seem to pay off. Well, really. he, it didn't seem to have. He got a few Hollywood roles off the back of it as an actor. Um, I think he was cast in The Green Hornet, the Seth Rogen film, but then he dropped out at some point, maybe creative differences at play. He might have actually been tapped to direct that at some point, thinking about it. Um, Who was it who played uh, Kato, or whatever they're called in that film in the end? Well, it was going to be him at one point, anyway. (laughs) Um, Jay Chu, or Jay Chow. I think he was kind of looking at that as his American crossover uh, role. But it just didn't happen, and he's kind of gone back to making films uh, abroad. And and he's not really done much acting, to be honest, since he started writing and directing these things. Um, hmm. But he did a, a film. I remember like having a really hard time digging it out, trying to get hold of a copy. It's probably a lot easier to fine now, it's probably finally been officially translated at this point, but his follow-up to the film was a, a film called CJ7, which was a, a a weird little thing about a kid befriending a an alien from outer space that lands and it's this little CGI mm-hmm. E.T. flubber type monstrosity and it was very kiddie and not particularly amazing. Um, mm. I mean, he, he's doing stuff, he's just kind of I don't know, nothing he's done since has really had that same crossover appeal. And before he did this, he, he did a whole load of films. And I've only seen uh, Shaolin Soccer, which is probably mm. his second biggest film in terms of Western crossover yeah. appeal. Um, and it's also a very good film, actually, Shaolin Soccer, if you if you like Kung Fu Hustle. It's Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? It's It's got mm. the same sort of slapstick comedy, physical yeah. comedy, a lot of it. But prior to that, he he made a film called uh, King of Comedy. He made one called From Beijing with Love, which I think was a kind of spy movie comedy. Um, he made a couple of others, and I, I want to see them eventually, but they're they're quite obscure and difficult to dig up, to be honest. But yeah, for whatever reason, this film in particular did get plucked out and brought to the West. And and so, what is it plot wise? There's a uh, it's set in the forties. And there's this kind of mafia-esque gang. Uh, the Is it actually gang. set in the forties? I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. Like when it was. Yeah, I was. To be. I, it was, I was, bit, uh, that was news to me. Actually, hearing that, I didn't realize until 
going into this rewatch. Because uh, when I was younger, I just kind of took it in as, oh, it's set in some kind of weird fantasy <laughs> Hong Kong. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's what I took it as. Uh... No, I, I think it's specifically set in the 40s, which does explain huh. a lot of like costume decisions and things uh, when mm. you go back to it. Um, pretty sure I read that. Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, there is a sort of otherworldly sense to it because the, right at the very beginning, there's it's it's very spaghetti western, like mm. it's got a real spaghetti western feel to it. And then there's a lot of sort of nineteen thirties classic gangster yeah um, imagery as well. And it's sort of like I'm not it's not spoofing it, it's but it's using all this different imagery and then sort of clamoring it together. Mm. Um, they, there's a, like a bit of a dance number right at the beginning. Yeah, but it's it's like the. The, the dancing doesn't even, like, correspond to any music that's happening. Like, it's completely <laughs> out of time with the music. It's... Yeah, so, what is the plot? There, there's this pigsty alley. There's all these people living happily in their kind of simple lives. Uh, and then this... What is it, like a con man and his friends show up? They're, they're kind of ragamuffin street rats. and Stephen Chow. yes. They pose as members of the Axe Gang, trying to swindle people out of money, scaring them, saying, "Oh, we'll set, we'll get the rest of our gang on you." And then there's a misunderstanding with them throwing a what is it, a firecracker, something in the sky? It lands on a passing Axe Gang member's hat. <laughs> um, mm. Then the actual Axe Gang show up, and it it basically leads to a kind of war between the alley and the Axe Gang. Um, a feud, I suppose. Mm, and mm. Stephen Chow's kind of in the middle of it. And, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's not the most focused. Yeah, and it, obviously it transpires that a few of these villages are like Kung Fu Masters. And so mm. that sort of sets that sets it up. But yeah, that, this is sort of number one of my problems with this film. I'm <laughs> trying to figure out what about what's going on here. Is that, yeah, Stephen Chow, who plays this kind of principal character is a little bit lost in the middle and he's mm. kind of a floating protagonist that we're not and he's and he's a bit of an anti-hero you know he's a he's a dick throughout most of the film uh playing off both sides and and sometimes he just disappears for a while while we concentrate on the action between other people and and it's like I'm not quite sure who this story is about uh who I'm supposed to be following and it's it lacks a bit of structure in that sense yeah i, I mean that, that's I, true i agree yeah, and we get this kind of token emotional backstory. Yeah, that in itself feels like a bit of a spoof. Yeah, of I mean, it, but I, of... I think it works well enough. It's very basic and simplistic, but I, I think it's handled with enough um, aplomb. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with Ellen's point about how unfocused it feels. Mm. For certainly, I would say like the first half an hour, forty minutes, because yeah, yeah. Stephen Chow does become by the time the film ends the main character, and I think like, he's the only one with. Well, um, the only one whose journey we really focus on. And for the first half an hour, I was kind of all right with it being, okay, well, if this is an ensemble piece, because we see all these different residents in Pigsty Alley and some have their own individual powers, and there's the landlord and the landlady um, who are big figures there. Um, And I was fine going along with it as like, okay, well, it's this ensemble thing. We don't really have a main character. It's just about this community. Mm. But at the same time, it took a long time for there to be anything yeah. for me to latch onto as regards to plot. I've always felt like it was a bit of a slow burn. Like the first twenty minutes were a bit like, eh. and then it it kind of kicks into gear. 
Yeah. I'd say about the time the Axe Gang uh, properly attacks the village, maybe, but that is a good 20, mm. 25 minutes into the film. Um, and it, it, it loses focus as well by the end, because it's, it's been all about this little village and they're sort of saving themselves or whatever. And then it becomes this big personal thing between the landlord, landlady and this Kung Fu master that they just find in a prison. And it becomes Mm. this very personal battle between them and the Axe gang becomes secondary. Uh, Stephen Chow's story is even more secondary. It it really just drifts all over the place. Mm. Um, And, and especially by, by the last half of the film, it, it basically just descends into a load of fight scenes Mm. Um, which is all right, I suppose, for a martial arts film, but um, it it just was in it was inconsistent. I'm not sure really what like what was it aiming for. I'm not sure what it was trying to do. Mm. Mm. I I think that the action scenes in this film are remarkably brilliant. I think it's su- it's a mm. big part of why it works for me, in spite of the uh, flaws that exist here, because they are just so phenomenally good kung fu sequences for the most part they're really well choreographed they're so like constantly inventive um they keep throwing all these fantastical elements into the mix there's obviously a um uh at one point in the film the this pair of villains show up who have a musical instrument that basically attacks you with like sound waves and you know there's this sequence where this guy is walking along and you see a cat jump across the uh, alleyway behind them, and then the shadow of the cat kind of cuts in half, and just um, it, it's just these. Yeah, and then and the and these sound waves, like you say, that are, they're attacking with, they take a kind of visual form of swords or a, mm. a skeleton army at one point, and it's it, it's never quite clear if they're creating some sort of magical thing or if that is just a visual representation yeah. for the audience. I think it's, it's meant to be visuals bit... for us just to kind of yeah. see what they're... Because then, you know, these guys start, like, punching them away and so on, and I think it's purely so mm. that we can kind of see what they're doing and they're not just punching the air. But uh, Yeah, and I like it. It's yeah. very visually inventive. It's, it's cool and, and it's fun to watch. But I don't really know what they're trying to do, <laughs> and it doesn't sort of match with anything else in the film, particularly. That I think it does. There, there's, it's just know, different. None of the other fantastic, yeah, but none of the other fighting styles are kind of magical in that. They sense. are. It's... The the landlady woman's got her big booming voice, and then they get the bell and and turn it into a megaphone yeah. so that she can. I mean, again, that's that's not, that is that I is that. that's more of a kind of stretching of science rather than it's not quite supernatural magic sort of thing that the other I don't know it's just that's what I mean like all these different powers and things it was all inventive and interesting I'm not quite sure there was an overall plan to make them all work together mm. it was just a sort of series of funny ideas yeah my 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 overall kind of evaluation was fun but messy and I, I think that sums it up quite well I think that's I, I enjoyed it fair. but it's it just felt very yeah messy <laughs> Can we talk about the uh, the village and the villagers? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, ask if we could talk about the characters because like I love I love pretty much everyone in here in this village, and I love how we're introduced. Yes, to them yeah, same. Um, yeah, I particularly love the the landlord, um, <laughs> who's this kind of I don't know how would you describe him. He's almost he reminded me a bit of like Gomez from the Adams family in that he's, he's very <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. 
I don't even know why. But it's this little village and they're all just sort of trying to scrape a living and the landlord and landlady who own the whole place, obviously they're taking all money. Everyone's behind on the rent so no one can stand up to them because they all owe them (laughs) money. And so they get away with whatever they want. So the landlord's like Mm -hmm. a drunk who just wanders around helping himself to whatever he can get. Yeah, like spying on women. The landlady does all the kind of shouting and and the bossing about. But I mean, you know I watch a lot of 70s sitcoms and it's very much in that mould. Oh yeah, doesn't she smack him with a rolling pin at one point? Yeah, she's got a haircut. Yeah. She's never without a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I really loved both of these characters, and it's, but certainly in the first like forty-five minutes or so, that I think they're the funniest people on screen. I, I was kind of disappointed when they're revealed to be quite significant figures, uh, quite significant serious figures, as masters of certain techniques of kung fu and whatever. A bit later on in the story, and it, they have you have to take them seriously later on. Whereas I just kind of liked them being these hilarious side characters in these yeah. early parts of the film. Mm. Um, and in some of the other hilarious side characters, <laughs> for, for example, uh, go on. Should, should we talk about the gay guy? Well, the, the tailor. Yeah. <laughs> the tailor oh, who, who... I just loved how... <laughs> well, they obviously went... They went, right, we need to make it very, very clear this guy's gay. How can we show that physically? And he's and he's just like, don't worry, I'm an actor. I'm all over this. <laughs> the most atrocious gay acting I've but ever seen. The, the oh, thing I, is, I thought it was intentional, wasn't well, it? When I was 14... You thought I that's what gay people were like? No, when I was 14, I don't think I even picked up on the fact that he was meant to be gay. I think when they first called him Fairy, I somehow, like... Missed that that was, I thought like what is that his nickname? What's that? And then I didn't realize that him prounce, prancing around like <laughs> crying was like that he was meant to be gay. Oh, I loved. That. So it's only sort of it was brilliant. on the, on one of the rewatches I did afterwards. I was like, oh, he's gay. Okay, but then the, but then the film's very much making a point of um, it's this odd little thing thrown in where they're clearly trying to say. What, you thought he's gay, so he's a wuss? Nah, mate, he's well good at kung fu. And uh, <laughs> they get him into, like... Well, twice he has a pretty big action fight, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. And he's one of the... He's one of the cooler characters with regards to his, like, fighting style, I think. He, he gets these mm. metal rings from his tailor workshop, puts them on his arm, and so his mm. style's built around, sort of, Using them blocking to get more things, yeah. momentum into his punches and blocking <clears throat> and stuff, and yeah. Well, there's him, and then there's the baker, and then another character who form this trio of, uh, well, they're sort of closet kung fu experts, mm. really, and save the village in one of the big fights, and they're the ones who were assassinated later on by the, uh, the what is the guitar playing guys, yeah. whatever that thing is. But this is yeah. a, this was another issue, because you've got the baker, you've got the tailor, who are kind of really well established, and then there's this third guy who's just like, oh yeah, and him as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then it, and then he gets killed sort of quite quickly, and then the other two Very have a big, a big standoff, yeah. and it was just like... Did this? Did they just not like this guy? They had a bigger role, and then they go, "Oh, we need to get rid of him quickly because he's a dick." Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it was a it, weird, it was very weird, right? Strange from just a pacing perspective, how yeah. that character—he just has his head sliced off, and that's it. He's not given a moment to fight. And I thought, "Oh God, the other two were going to be taken out like this." And I mean, in a way, maybe I, maybe I like, maybe I added to my enjoyment because I really liked these three. Mm. And at this point in the film, I didn't really know. I don't know who Stephen Chow is, so anyone in this film could be Stephen Chow. Racist. So I don't know who is the. Now, <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, 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 I mean, like, I, I could have bought anyone as like the Stephen Chow because I had no idea what he looks like. So I assume he's going to be the lead. Any of these guys could have been, and I was perfectly settling in for the film to be about these three guys and their journey or whatever. Uh, and then when they all get start uh, start getting bumped off one by one, I was uh, a bit upset. But then. Because the other two, the Baker and the um, Taylor, have these big fight sequences. Oh, well, maybe they'll get away. Maybe one of them, Stephen Chow, and they're not all going to die. But... Yeah. And the, yeah. the, the, the most of these Kung Fu Masters, is the, the, the standard procedure is that they they don't look like a martial arts guy. They're, they're like, mm. yeah. Unassuming, yeah. A, a, a homosexual, for example. Oh, but even that is... Um, like, you know, they're like, kind of look like they're middle-aged, you know, kind of, mm. yeah, slightly balding or, you know, just a sort of inauspicious, um, you know, a baker or whatever. And that's pretty much the same for every character in the whole thing, you know? Mm. Uh, and that seems to be the standard joke. Oh, they don't look like a martial arts person, but they are. I have a question about one of the people in this uh, vicinity. Um, there's a barber who has his bum hanging out of his trousers <laughs> yes. all the time. <laughs> I, yeah. um, why is that? Why? I, it's, a, it's his comedy trait. <laughs> I did feel like perhaps something was being lost in translation there. I must say it's, uh, yeah. it's an odd little thing that keeps coming back and doesn't really seem to go but anywhere. He, He's probably mm. the most set-up villager character who doesn't then end up being a martial arts person. So yeah. I was kind of expecting him to do something, and then he, he didn't. Yeah, uh, me too, because there is a point where uh, the three experts have been killed and the villager talking about how we're going to defend ourselves and all this, and he kind of steps forward as being like, I will be the one, the chosen one, to learn all these techniques and I'll save us all, and then he's quickly knocked out and that's kind of it he's not really in the rest of the film but he got he has quite a he has quite a few big scenes towards the start where he's around with the landlady and then Stephen Cho turns up at his barber shop uh, so yeah i thought he was gonna go somewhere but he didn't mm. yeah but then I, I think i might have liked that about the film actually like i genuinely had no idea i don't know who any of these people are because mm. i'm not a t- terrible uh terribly a- an aficionado of Hong Kong cinema, maybe I should be, but I didn't know who the main character was going to be, I didn't know where it was going to go, and that kept me guessing and kept me hooked. Yeah. Um, one thing we, we've touched on but haven't really gone into detail is there are some, like, actual cartoon elements. Yeah, like, completely <laughs> surreal, not... out of nowhere, weird cartoon elements, yeah. So, for example, Stephen Chow comes and sort of harasses this village a little bit, and the landlady chases him out of town. Literally mm. chases him out of town, where they do the Scooby Doo fast legs thing, and then they're mm. racing down the street in a prolonged sequence. But that's, but that's it. They do the, the fast legs thing, and then the legs hit the ground, and they just—it's like a motorbike chase, but they're <laughs> yeah, on foot. Yeah. And and I mean, it's it's to the point that like he's got um, he's been stabbed a couple of times earlier with these blades. Oh, yeah, so at one point he looks at the reflection in the knife on his shoulder as if it were a ring a rear view mirror <laughs> um, and but this was it these elements here i was i was really enjoying it and like i said like later on in the film it it becomes more about these fight sequences that they do have elements of comedy in them but it, it lost its way a little bit for me and whereas mm. this first sort of 40 minutes i was really quite into it a lot more mm. Even though it was still complete madness and <laughs> didn't, didn't make any sense, <laughs> it, it, like you say, it has elements of that up until the end. Like even in the the final moment when he like he does the palm of 
Buddha or whatever it's called, this like yeah, yeah. F- prophesized move that no one has ever seen before. And he, he like jumps up into the sky and then like steps on an eagle that's passing by and like <laughs> sort of gets a little bit of extra air by like hopping on it. And it, it's in slow motion, it just kind of squawks like, and, like it's it's very odd. What else? I think the music's amazing. Well, the- I want to mention that. I think the the score to the film like really lifts it up a few notches above what it would otherwise be. It, it just adds a whole extra layer of like emotional strength to it. Like it kind of helps you just buy into the film as more of a a proper film rather than a series of skits, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if it stood out to me one way or the other. I think I probably enjoyed it like I didn't really end up making notes uh, once I started watching the film because like, I was really engrossed in it I was really really enjoying it um and that's probably a compliment to the music more than anything that I you know didn't single it out as an element particularly it just all worked together really well I love the music yeah. <laughs> I think it's great yeah, some of the special effects were. I, maybe it's because the, the the whole film just had a cartoony, like Looney Tunes vibe. Because some of the special effects I thought were pretty dreadful. Yeah, but they weren't trying to hide it. Like it was just like there's a bit where, he, like the sequence we talked about, where um, Stephen Chow's chasing, being chased by the landlady, and there's a point where she like goes flying into like a sign by the side of the road and it just looks terrible the effect and <laughs> when this guy when this beast guy's like toading That's out again bits. it looks terrible yeah. but it, the worst bits i remember uh him toading out and there's a bit where i think it might be the landlord someone's like chucked out of a window and you see them fall yeah, to the ground the and it's really bad <laughs> but it's i mean it's it's cgi from 2004 and it's a hong kong film with a much lower budget you know, I, I, it's on par with like Doctor Who. It's that sort of like oh, yeah, yeah, CGI yeah. that you've just got to kind of oh yeah, and go I'm, with. I think, and I'm not saying it's a you know a really bad thing, but I, I'm saying that I think it's brave of them to do what they did with mm. it. Like they weren't hiding it; they didn't cut away yeah. from it to something else, or they they just had it there on screen and take away from it what you will. But I, I didn't mind it. It just looks yeah ropey, as you say. Yeah. But I went with it because of the whole cartoony vibe. And so I mean, so it didn't take me out. Of the I'd movie. say on the whole, the special effects are actually really impressive throughout the film. When you take it as a whole, with all of the um, very elaborate action sequences and when it was made and the budget, like it's very mm. rare, all things considered. When you think about how many effect shots are in it, that one of these really shit-looking ones kind of takes you out of it. But there are a few very notable moments with like. Yeah, that CGI there, that doesn't hold up. And then, I don't know, I, I guess like that, that whole sequence with the super fast running, like the it's clearly fake, like it doesn't look remotely realistic, but then what they're doing, like, I don't think you could ever make that look realistic, like running like a cartoon character with, you know. Mm. So it's almost that whole thing of, um, for a while, I remember people were wondering if Pixar were going to kind of get to the point where they were making photorealistic films, and then they sort of came out and said, mm-hmm. well, no, obviously we're going to do, like, stylized humans that don't look real, because otherwise what's the point? And it's like, <laughs> I think it's, you know, a similar thing at play with bits of it here, but... Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then I guess the only thing we haven't really mentioned is the the sort of romantic 
subplot that kicks in, which is oh god, I completely forgot about very that. much an attempt to give uh, the film a bit of an emotional backbone, I guess. But it it really is just like two, <laughs> like one scene to set it up and then one scene to pay it off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd forgotten about it completely actually. By the time the scene was there to pay it off, so I yeah, I was completely not invested mm. in that. I didn't know <laughs> if it was Stephen Chow's story because he's got this sidekick who's kind of the what is it the Lenny to his <laughs> no the the what's the big one in of Mice and Men? Um, it's a uh, Lem- Lenny. It's Lenny, isn't it? Yeah, Lenny's the George. Big one. Yes, and George is the little one. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's sort of the Lenny to Stephen Chow's George, and then I wondered if it was is the love story about him because he he's in the scene with the woman towards the end, isn't he? Is he? Oh, I don't know. I might be remembering it wrong. He's not in the flashback. Yeah, it might be in. Yeah, the... he is. I know. Oh, what you, yeah. I know what you're talking about because I thought that as well. That that mm. that might come that way, and yeah, like I said, I don't know if those are really much of an ending. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> just like oh yeah, that mm-hmm. that's that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is there anything else? I think. I think this is what I was saying. Like, I think there's a testament to this film the way we've spoken of it. We have just sort of like, oh, and this bit and this bit, and, and sort of flitted all yeah. over the place. It's mm. because there isn't much of a structure to this film, <laughs> so it no, doesn't it invite a very linear analysis. Mm. No, no, that's true. But I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I really, yeah, I really, it. it's liked fun. It. Um, mm. Should we do ratings? Um, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. So, 8 out of 10 from me. I give it a 7. A solid 7, though. Objectively, I should really bump this down, but at the same time... (laughs) Screw being objective. But that's it. At the same time, I'm going to embrace being positive and giving a nice high score. And I think this film is... Certainly the the best kung fu movie I've ever seen. Um, it's it's the best example of that genre. How many have you seen, Sol? I mean, more than you, I would gamble. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe ten or fifteen. I don't know. Oh, mm. well, I've I've seen this and the man with the golden gun. So Is, I does that count? Much of a... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's the best example of a genre that I've seen. Um, and, you know, when I first saw it, it really did blow me away with the quality of the action scenes, but then the comedy to kind of carry me through. So, because a lot of these Kung Fu movies can be very just, you know, uh, po-faced and overblown and just nonsense. Yeah, the def- all the ones, all your classic sort of uh, samurai films yeah. that are set in the 14th century or whatever are always so po-faced. Mm. Um, mm. And then you, you sort of your classic martial arts films like your Bruce Lee kind of thing are always just so badly made yeah. <laughs> and, and shitty dubs and all that like that classic seventies kung fu mm. that Quentin Tarantino probably loves yeah. um, is actually <laughs> shit. But there, there's even some good you know classic comedic martial arts films. Um, yeah, that this is this is very much you know carrying the tradition forward uh, of but i'd say again it's better than the old ones i've seen and one of the ones mm. i've seen with, had like ghosts and monsters in it so you know it's competing <laughs> with with that uh so i give it a 10 oh wow hmm yeah well no fair enough fair enough <laughs> you stick to your guns yeah like, i mean ob- <laughs> objectively i should probably bump it down but i don't want to 
no, 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 don't, we don't, I never rate objectively on this. Yeah. And you shouldn't either, otherwise, I mean, God, if, if you did, you, I'm sure Resident Evil wouldn't be as low down in our worst film <laughs> rankings as it is, because objectively it's... You know, Compare the action in Resident made. Evil to the action in this film. This is what oh, yeah, action it's no scenes should be. It's, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. This has yeah. slow-mo moments. Yeah, but they're done, like, well. <laughs> <laughs> and they're used sparingly as well. They're not, like... We could seem uh, we could now go straight into uh, pitch ideas. Yeah, mm. because uh, that kind of plays into what I because I I was thinking Kung Fu Hustle it, it's parodying a lot of like yeah spaghetti western gangster films. So could you do like a, a Kung Fu version of a different type, just a different well, genre? I mean, or perhaps go full and like do a Kung Fu sci-fi. What I should mention is there was a sequel um, to this film announced oh? in 2005. Like, officially announced uh-huh. Stephen Chow was working on a sequel. Um, which I I found weird, because it, it does seem like a very standalone film. Um, and obviously you could easily just carry on the story, but I, I, yeah, I wonder I to what see. extent it, it would lose the charm of these people all being nobodies who have secret powers and just become mm. a load of like overblown nonsense in the process um but it was officially but you could take the you could take the Stephen Chow character and like now he's discovered his powers and yeah. he's he's sort of by day he's a lollipop salesman <laughs> and by by night he you know he's he helps like the 18th yeah. you know, he just goes and helps people fight or um Pigsty Valley, he moves... Not, what's it called? Pigsty Alley. He moves in and it becomes a, a sort of kung fu master school and they're just training up all the... Yeah. They're all working as teachers there mm. now. I don't know. It's... um, But yeah, they were working on it, but um, they put it on hold so that Stephen Chow could make that CJ7 alien thing I mentioned. Yeah. And it was set to be out in 2014 at one point, but that obviously didn't happen and i think it i think it has been officially um cancelled at some point so i, I mean, it certainly doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be moving forward um maybe at some point mm-hmm. stephen chow will turn around and be like oh i've not had much success since uh that kung fu hustle <laughs> well it's worth noting that he's 55 mm-hmm. years old now <laughs> is he really mm-hmm. yeah wow so he was like forty-one in this film. Yeah, nineteen sixty-two he was born. So yeah. Wow. Oh, but but that wow. you know that doesn't mean he can't make another. He's still directing. It doesn't mean he couldn't do another Kung Fu Hustle. Harrison Ford's doing another Indiana Jones, and he's like eighteen. Yeah. Oh, is he? But even then, like he could easily transition into the teacher role. Um, that's that's a trope yeah, yeah, of yeah, these yeah. films. That that's what Jackie Chan did with Drunken Master. You know, he's the student in the first one, then he's the the old teacher in the second one. Um, How old's Jackie Chan these days? <laughs> well, the second one was made in like the nineties, so he's that plus twenty more years now. But uh, Jackie Jackie Chan is yeah, he is currently sixty three, and he's he can still do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, what one of the quotes here about the sequel was that it was going to have a lot of new characters, so. It does sound well, like you'd have they to. Were... All, all you basically, I think you would have to just follow the Stephen Chow character. Everyone mm. else would have to be new. Yeah, because you've you've done all those characters now. So, I mean, how what would be the best way to to 
give him something else to do. Well, that was it. I was thinking, yeah, do a martial arts version of other other genres. I was, what's lo- like a martial arts James Bond or whatever? But like, remember the Golden Gun <laughs> from not Beijing? That, with love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do that. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's already done that. How can you say that Roger Moore being sort of uh, taken <laughs> to a kung fu school is not a kung fu movie? There are even two. Like, anyway, no, we'll get there in a few months, but. But to be fair, Roger Moore's 55 in that film as well. So. <laughs> yeah. hmm. I tell you what I do want to see, though. Stephen Chow makes Crank 3. <laughs> oh, Alan, have you seen Mum and Dad? <laughs> uh, what, a film called Mum and Dad? Yeah, it's, it came out recently. No. It's no. Uh, one of the Crank directors did it. Oh, really? Is it any good? I think you should watch it. I think you <laughs> would like it. Um, it's it's Nicolas Cage in the lead, and it's very crank humor. And Nicolas Cage, like like I saw it in the cinema, and people were like giggling away, laughing their heads off purely at Nicolas Cage. I didn't realize he'd become mainstream to the point that I people in the cinema the were just laughing this. at him, being yeah. like, you know, just walking around, <laughs> walking around, going, "What? Where are you?" You know, just like weird delivery <laughs> yeah. of words, and everyone was giggling. And, huh. I, I saw this. Uh, I saw the trailer for this, and my response was, "That looks fucking weird." But it's Nicolas Cage; he'll probably get away with it. <laughs> but I didn't realize it was one of the one of the guys. I mean, it's it's the best performance he's given in a while. I've got to say, it's very it's Nicolas Cage being like correctly correctly cast, yeah, correctly yeah. Like, I can directed, see... ushered into the right. He's a, he's a river, and he's like the. They're, they're allowing him to flow in the right direction here instead of trying to put dams in place that don't work. So so I recommend it for fans of uh, Crank and Nicolas Cage because it's it's got lots of that. But it isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit the trailer was bizarre enough to intrigue me. Yeah. But can we get Nicolas Cage in Kung Fu Hustle too? Ah, it would make sense. The American film star that comes to visit and they have to like protect him. Stephen Chow's working as a bodyguard. <laughs> you know when? Uh, you know when? Uh, what's it called? Uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez did those two films. Grindhouse trailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And they did the fake trailers, and one of them was Nicolas Cage's Fu Manchu. Oh yes, I knew yes. I'd seen that somewhere. <laughs> oh god, which one was that? Um, I think it was like. She women of she wolves of the SS or something, but he was just in it at the end. It was like an Eli Roth thing. Oh no, Eli Roth did the Thanksgiving one, didn't he? I like your idea, Alan, of um, looking at other genres and thinking like, well, what would a kung fu version of that be like? Um, it was Rob Zombie's like kung fu. Ah, werewolf women of the SS or something. Werewolf, yeah, werewolf women of the SS. There you go. I suppose I'd like to see a horror kung fu film. Yeah. Like, I just wonder where, if it was yeah. going, if Kung Fu Hustle was going there with the whole um, blood, you know, the Shining reference. And that's a really good shout. I I would love to see that. I, I've seen a few. Oh, really? It already exists. Yeah, from like, like I say, from like the seventies and eighties. Ah. Um, there's a film called, I think it's called Encounters of the Spooky Kind, or at least that's the English title. Um, <laughs> And that's very, it's very Evil Dead in a lot of its 
um, sensibilities, that kind of manic, cartoony... I think it predates Evil Dead, but you know that kind of manic whip pans and crazy camera angles and cartoonishness mm. and and uh there's one called mr vampire as well which is about i think it's about some morticians or something and these chinese chi vampires and so like it it was a thing that was done and i think it would be really really cool actually to see that brought forward into a modern mm. film that, that does the same thing because the, the horror the horror genre has changed, you know, we're in yeah. a post-Scream world and uh, everything's sort of uh, smaller now, isn't it? Like that kind of, mm. your paranormal activity, your found footage kind of sense, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You could, I don't know if that would translate, but you could do it as uh, Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> wait, are we? do you want to, are you setting this in America or in like Hong Kong in the forties? Um, are we trying to? Are we going through a Western market? Or are we just doing what we want? I think it should be set in in China or Hong Kong. Certainly, um, mm, mm. keep that feel. Modern, modern Hong Kong. Just let everyone lives in like a little coffin-sized rooms because <laughs> there's no room for anyone to live there. Well, that's but that that could be get a vampire in there in the little coffin room. Get some comedy out of that. <laughs> Do you just do this as a complete like horror anthology where there's just there's a there's a Dracula and a Frankenstein? No, I, I think it I think it needs to be a solid plot, maybe with other things woven around it, kind of like Kung Fu Hustles, a bit meandering. But because um, these films were, it was it was always like your this is the new mortician who's starting, or this young guy's learning Kung Fu, but then like a witch's curse is put on him in the woods, or it was always something like that. That mm. kind of triggered something. So I, I think, I think the best way to do it really would just be to do like a, a kind of homage to the the classic subgenre that consists of like not a lot of films that I'm aware of. <laughs> um, that Mister Vampire thing though, they made loads of them. I've only seen the first one, but they were like they did like four or five of them. And I've just looked up the Wikipedia page for martial arts horror films. Mm. Oh yeah, it's not very big. <laughs> yeah. the market. It's got the Blade trilogy on there as well, so I don't know quite how much oh. of this is. Uh, real. See, well, yeah, but I mean, it is a thing. But it looks mm. like Mister Vampire and Encounters of the Spooky Kind are very much like two of the big hitters from looking at this. So, <laughs> well, I think what we ne- what we need to do is go postmodern with it. Um, so you have it as you know, Nicolas Cage is in China. Making a a big, you know, one like what they're doing now. These he's shooting these Ghost big Rider crossover three. films, <laughs> but these big crossover films where they do it with Chinese money, and it's really aimed at a Chinese market. They'll put a Western star in it. Yeah, he's Nicholas Cage is there making a film about a Dracula or whatever, and then it sort of all starts kicking off. A Chi vampire. Let's just do that again. Just rip it off. There's not many films about them. What's a Chi <laughs> vampire? I want to suck your Chi. <laughs> Is it, there's a very specific kind of Chinese um, vampire legend, which is um, it's to do with how they like prepare dead bodies. I, I think they tie the feet together or something. So it's, or I might have imagined that, but basically it's this vampire that can only like hop after you and kind of. Have you ever played Mario Land, the Game Boy game? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the little like China world, like the third world, there are those little zombie things that hop after you. That's what they are. Huh. Um, And the idea is you have to put, like, pieces of paper with the right kind of 
kanjis with like a magic word on them to like make them sleep properly and it's it's a fascinating bit of um you know local legend that isn't really explored very much in in film there's an episode of jackie chan adventures that did it <laughs> there are the, mm. the mr vampire <laughs> films but that's all i'm aware of and i don't think they drain your blood they drain your like psychic energy life, or life, life force energy, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay hmm. which is probably essentially the same thing it's just less literal isn't it yeah when you're sucking yeah. someone's blood that's the whole that's the same thing isn't it since the analogy mm. of it so I that's I thought I like that. We well, I think if you're just sticking Nicolas Cage in it just for the sake of having a, a name, then that means he has to have like he gets assigned a personal assistant who's just like a young sort of twenty five year old Chinese guy who happens to be a martial arts master, <laughs> <laughs> some some up and comer, and then it becomes this big thing where uh, he's protecting Nicolas Cage, and so you either do it where Nicolas Cage has to get involved and fight and learn how to fight, or all this stuff's kicking off and they have to protect Nicolas Cage without him realising that everything's going wrong. <laughs> and so it's like he's, then he's the unknowing kind of focus in the middle of it. Hmm. I've, so I've looked things- it up and they're called, and I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, but they're called Jiangxi. Jiangxi. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. No, that's a, that is a thing, isn't it? Uh... Yeah. This is it. There's not been a big Western Jiangxi film yet. You've got some fun flavour to play with there, even though this isn't Western, but it's going to, you know, Nicolas Cage can be making the big, you know, Jiangxi film. He's Fu Manchu, resurrecting the <laughs> dead, his army of Jiangxi or something. <laughs> we can get some uh, comedy in because of the the protesting, the, the people who are upset with him portraying a person of colour. <laughs> yeah, yellow face. Nicolas Cage is exactly the sort of actor who... Blind, like just wouldn't think and would take a role like that as well. <laughs> what was the film where he wanted to play it with a Jamaican accent and they had to say no, you can't do it. Oh, that was the Green Hornet. Um, that oh, film that Stephen Chow was nearly in. That's ah! we've come full circle. <laughs> Stephen Chow was nearly in it, and Nicolas Cage was nearly in it. So what? What did he end up doing in the end if it wasn't a Jamaican accent? He dropped out. Well, they, they just didn't do it. He said, "If I can't do a Jamaican accent, I'm not doing it." <laughs> yeah. oh, no way, really. He was gonna—he was gonna out. be the villain. He insisted on doing a Jamaican accent. Michelle Gondry was like, "No, <laughs> of course not." And he was like, "Right, well, fuck you then." And they cast uh, Christoph Waltz instead. <laughs> wow. They—they they knew they were on safe ground with Christoph Waltz. He can only do one accent. <laughs> He's the Sean Connery of Austria. Yeah, even even in that um, Roman Polanski film where he's supposed to be like some just average Joe American. Uh, well, he's an Austrian know, guy who lives in America, I think. But yeah. oh, is he? Oh, no. But this is like when whenever Arnold Schwarzenegger did films, like this, <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were written as like an all-American hero, and then they cast Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's like, oh, "My name's John Matrix. <laughs> my, name's, my name's Gordy Brewer. <laughs> Good American boy." Uh, right. What else can we put in this thing? <laughs> so, so what have we got? We've got um, we've got Nicholas Cage is over in Hong Kong or China. Filming mm-hmm. a, a a Chinese vampire movie, mm-hmm. but obviously the Chinese vampire like has to become real or something, and they don't realize yeah. that's got to be what 
what's going on. Oh yeah, they, they 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 like find the props guy. Like oh, I found like these spells for making vampires or whatever, waking up vampires, and then they accidentally make wake one up. And now Stephen, I think I think it should be set in the same world as the first Kung Fu Hustle, but only tangentially. So can we get Stephen Chow in there at some point? But he'd have to play like a ninety-year-old version <laughs> of his former character. <laughs> But yeah, why not? But, but maybe, maybe like, maybe there's some old classic films like about him. At one point, like he became an actor, or or they made films like chronicling his his life. Maybe they have to resurrect him to defeat the vampire using ah. some. Vampire he he is the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> what if those two those two guys with the musical instrument were from this tomb? And they were some mm. creepy vampire men or something, because they were a bit vampiric. Ooh, so we're tying it in even uh, more now. Or or we can just have, like, Stephen Chow and the deaf girl... Not deaf, mute. <laughs> Stephen Chow and the mute girl's uh, kid uh, had a kid who's, like, an intern <laughs> on the film, like a runner. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the psych he's the psychic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it's it's Stephen Chow's grandson. And so he has to ring up his granddad to ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got the little book, the little pamphlet handed down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then everyone else, we just need colourful characters on this film set who you know, like mm. a grip who has he's a master of like lighting style. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this is it, because uh all the the people in the village they had like the baker used his rolling pins as like staffs, and yeah. and the tailor used these rings as, like that was used for hanging up clothes. So we need that sort of thing. Mm. I do. I think we should have like uh, hair and makeup guy who's very effeminate, <laughs> <laughs> but then he's like a, a, a knife guy with his hair, hair scissors. What are they called? I think we need more female fighters. Actually, I think we need. Um, Ooh. To, yeah. Uh, what what was very the progressive of what was that thing that Francis McDormand talked about at the Oscars? Uh, inclusion Rider? Is that it? Yeah. yeah Alright, yeah. so we need as many women as men now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well what would a director, Kung Fu Master do, given that we can't have them shouting through a megaphone because the landlady did <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point actually. Hmm. It's... And he can't cut people either because oh no that would be the editor actually wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. Uh. well i think yeah i think you got your hair and makeup with scissors as weapons but yeah i like the idea of like uh you know you, you just you yeah your grips are just like uh just the, sh- the shifters and haulers like some big fat guys <laughs> who just have to oh, they're hey, just moving the equipment yeah let's have a let's have a big fat guy style yeah yeah you need a big fat guy style yeah but you like belly bouncers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so like that, old wrestlers. So that's your classic, like, teamster is the big, like, fat Yeah, man. yeah, that's it. And then, can we have, like, a really angry sound man? Who, who like, when he well, gets that's pushed... that's easy, they're all angry. When he gets pushed <laughs> over the edge, he, like, kicks off. But maybe he, um, he, like, steals the sounds rather than, like, putting them out there. And that somehow, you can have some weird fight scene where, like, it goes muted and, and silent, and that somehow mm. affects the person's ability to, like, maybe it's dark or <laughs> something, so he can't see them very well, so he's relying on sound, and then they, like, swallow up the sound. You can definitely do mm. something with that. Yeah. 
Plus, I, I think it'd be easy enough to have a big fight scene with like a ten foot boom pole. <laughs> oh yeah, you could just swing it round like a up. pole. That's a fighting style, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Or he could like put um, headphones on people and then play that special note that kills you from James Bond. <laughs> No, the brown note. <laughs> makes that. people shit themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. He he can produce different noises that have a different effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Brilliant. So he can blast you and knock you over or like make you shit yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make you vomit. Moment. He can like make you temporarily blind with the right frequency. Just different <laughs> different bag of tricks. That's that's actually like exactly the kind of character this would have, so that's good. I like that. Yeah. Do we need a love interest in the film? I'm I'm inclined to say no. Uh, I don't think I don't think Kung Fu Hustle needed it, so I don't <laughs> think this is. Um, what? You, no, you you do it if you don't have a, you either have if you don't make it about a woman, then you have Nicolas Cage is every now and then he just rings up his daughter. I was going to say, like, no, I will in. I will make it to the the softball game. Don't worry, <laughs> and then he has to like get out in time, and, and then he's <laughs> then he's like. Yeah, he's gonna be late. He's missed his flight or something because the vampires are coming, and he like phones her up like, "Oh, there's vampires! Oh, vampire!" And and she's like, "Oh, dad, you'll say anything!" And like hangs up, and he's like, "Oh no, daughter!" <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe at the end he becomes a vampire and he flies home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Nicholas Cage has history with vampire. Films, he does. So he does. He loves. He knows it. what he's doing. I quite like that um, story that we got for Kung Fu Hustle 2. I think you could get a genuinely good film out of that with the right yeah. you know, approach taken to it. And yeah, make it happen. <laughs> Stephen Chow. Let's have it, man. Make it. Nicolas Cage. And he will do it. There you go. Kung Fu Hustle. Bit of an odd choice this week. And another very odd choice next week. Shark film. Deep Blue Sea. Actually next week. Don't know why we keep doing sharks. Calvin will no doubt attempt to justify himself next week.